So Romans chapter 2, and we'll read together the first 13 verses. Romans chapter 2, and reading from verse 1, and may it please the Lord uh, to bless the reading of his word to us. Romans 2 and verse 1. Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest. For wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. For thou that judgest doest the same things. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things, and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness, and forbearance, and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance, but after thy hardness and impenitent heart treasurest up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render that is give to every man according to his deeds, to them who by patient continuous in well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality eternal life, but unto them that are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil, of the Jew first and also of the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace to every man that worketh good, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. For there is no respect of persons with God. For as many as have sinned without law shall also perish without law. And as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. Amen. And please turn with me to Isaiah chapter 43. Isaiah chapter 43. And we'll read verses 25 and 26. And the emphasis this evening is on verse 26. Isaiah chapter 43, verses 25 and 26. Isaiah 43 and verse 25. I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake, and will not remember thy sins. Put me in remembrance. Let us plead together. Declare thou that thou mayest be justified. Amen. Let us call upon the Lord and briefly pray for help in the preaching and in the hearing of his holy and infallible word. 
Lord, we do give thee thanks. We thank thee, Lord, that we have heard thy word, thy speaking voice in the scriptures of truth. And how precious is thy word. How precious is every word that comes forth from the mouth of God and speaking to us this evening. And Lord, it is our prayer that we would hear and be attentive to thy word. As thy word comes forth to us in the reading and the preaching. Oh Lord, what responsibility we have to hear, to be humbled before it and to obey it. And Lord, to allow the convicting work of thy spirit to do his work. Oh Lord, that there would be uh, found in us a heart that is right before thee. Uh, that our hearts will be found to be broken, to be contrite, to be humbled before thee. And Lord, we cannot do that ourselves. We, we will not do that ourselves. And so we pray for grace from on high, that we would have a broken and contrite spirit. Lord, we do pray for that. We need it, each and every one of us, most especially those who think they don't. Lord, grant that, we pray, that thy word would enter in and it would do that work, that it would be profitable for us, that we would not resist it and make thy word unprofitable. O oh Lord, we do pray that that word tonight would feed, it would challenge, it would convict, that it would convert. Lord, it would please thee to help me to, uh, to preach well that those of all ages would understand what thy word says unto us. And Lord, that it would enter in, that it would enter into the mind for the understanding, but also into the heart. And we thank thee for thy word, for faith cometh by the hearing of the word, and it is the word of God. Lord, have mercy, we pray thee. Pour out thy spirit upon me and give help to preach thy word who is sufficient for these things, O Lord, but our sufficiency is of thee. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We consider this morning, with the Lord's gracious help, uh, verse 25, and consider a, a number of matters that it is uh, all of the work of God to blot out and to forgive the sins and transgressions and iniquities of sinful man and woman and girl and boy. It's all of his work. He says it there in verse 25. He says, I, even I, am he. So there is no one else that can do this work of forgiveness. There's nothing you can do in that work of forgiveness. God must do it all, but we must come to God for that forgiveness on God's terms and in God's way through God's Christ and through those twin pillars, those twin gates of repentance and faith and coming humbly as it were, to the cross of Jesus Christ. It is God and it is all of grace. The Lord does not need to do this. He is not compelled to be merciful to sinners. He's not compelled to send Christ into the world. He's not compelled to convict your sinful heart. He's not compelled to do any of these things, but he does it 
because he is merciful and because he is gracious, because he is kind, because he is good, and because he knows how terrifying his righteous judgment is. And being fully aware of his righteous judgment, which we could give those names of of, of hell for the soul and the eternal lake of fire for those resurrected bodies and souls, the Lord being fully aware, fully aware of how terrifying his judgment is when it is set uh, to go forth freely against his enemies, that in love he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever would believe in him should not perish under the righteous and holy judgment of a holy and righteous God, but have everlasting life, to spend it in in joy and in peace with this God, with Jesus. And so he says, I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake, for God's glory, for God's power, for God's goodness' sake. He it is that does that work. And so that's what we saw when we considered God's sovereign grace in the gospel. Well, then we moved on to consider God's justifying blood. And that's what we see when we see that word blotteth out. I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake. And we consider this, the blood of Christ that, that covers sins. We were considered uh, like a, um, a, an account book where there's great debt that's written in these books. And how are they blotted out? And we considered how, how ink pens used to be in days gone by and, and a way of, 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 of expunging a, a paid-for debt was to blot it out, or to, to line it through, uh, to cover it with the ink. But now we're talking about the soul and the heart of sinful man. We're talking about moral corruption that cannot be covered by ink. And there is only one thing given from heaven, and that is the blood of Jesus Christ. And it is the blood of Christ that blots out sin. And that's what he's saying. In fact, we hear the words of Jesus saying, I, even I, am he that blotteth thy transgressions for mine own sake and will not remember thy sins. So God's justifying blood and how that blood is applied and how that blood is needed And there's nothing else that is available to us but the blood of Jesus. Not the blood of your own, not your own blood. Your own blood is sinful blood. It's not the blood of any philosopher or any leader of a a false religion out there, any false prophet, no. Only the blood of Jesus Christ, because not only is that blood that blots, but it was, as we considered, also a divine blood. It is that holy blood. It is the blood of God, as we considered, sounds so strange to consider, uh, but that's what the word speaks of. The blood of God, the blood of the Son of God, poured out, and it is a justifying blood. And thirdly and finally then, as we come to complete that message from this morning, we see in verse 26, um, considering all of justification, That God comes to justify the sinner, that God gives that blood of Jesus which justifies the sinner. But we see thirdly how your confessing of your sin is crucial to your justification. 
to be found righteous in the eyes of God. And we see that in verse 26. Put me in remembrance. Let us plead together. Declare thou that thou mayest be justified. And so we do, this is now the third message, um, not planned uh, by any means, uh, where we're examining what justification is. Justification is a long word. It's not necessarily the case. Children, if you would go home and say, Mom, Dad, what is justification? That it's easy just to give a, a, an immediate answer. But what it means is this, very briefly, is that if you sin and you do, you are not righteous before God. I am not righteous before God, for I have sinned. Any sin, one sin, makes us unrighteous and unholy before God. And now that needs to be turned around, because if we die in our sins, and imagine if it was only one sin, that would be one sin too many, and we would die in sin, in unholiness and unrighteousness. We do not speak that which is right. We do not think that which is right. We do not desire that which right, which is right. We do not do that which is right all day, every day. And there's the evidence that we're not righteous, that we're unrighteous. And yet God demands that we be righteous, lest we fall under his righteous judgment. And so justification means this. It means making of an unrighteous sinner a righteous saint. Taking that which is unholy and making him holy. We also considered when we've been uh, understanding justification that it is a legal thing. That is God that takes the payment from Jesus Christ and he, t- he, he takes that payment and he puts it to your account. In other words, all the sins that God has in his books that have been committed by you and even the youngest of you, There are many, many sins that have been building up over the years, every single day, and the Lord knows them all. And so the Lord says, well, that's a sinner, but that sin must not remain. It must be changed. It must be converted. We must no longer have the curse of God and the wrath of God, but the blessing of God and peace with God. Everything must be changed, and this is why the Lord sent the gospel to change everything. Because man left to his own devices did what? He rebelled against God. And what did the offspring of of Adam and Eve do? Left to their own devices, continue to rebel against God. We can see how the effect of the gospel in society, when it is lifted, when it is removed, when it is silent, see what man does, it's right in his own eyes, and it is wicked, it is corrupt, it is perverted, and the wrath of God is upon this nation. There must be a change. All sinners must come by repentance and faith and be made righteous in God's sight. They must be made to be just. They must be made to be righteous where there was only unrighteousness. And so as I mentioned, how does that happen? It is when the blood of Jesus Christ washes a sinner's heart. When that blood of Jesus Christ covers all the sins. It's when the blood of Jesus Christ covers and atones for our sinful nature. Does that mean that when we're converted we're suddenly 100% holy and we never sin again? No, that's not true. Because in true conversion it's only the heart, it's only the soul that is changed. The rebirth, the born again you is within the heart. 
It's not in the body. And the Bible speaks about that truth. That the body is still bound to sin. The sinful nature is so very strong. And therefore the new you must fight against the old you. Romans 7 explains Paul's own battles against his, the Apostle Paul's uh, battles against his old nature. But the Lord does these things on purpose to humble us, to help us, to help each other in our own battles against sin. Just two reasons why the Lord allows that. But if the Lord was to make us completely holy, we could not stay in this world. We would have to be like an Enoch and translated out and up to heaven. But we're still in this world, though we're not of this world. And so it's only that, that inner, that nature, that's, that, that the born-again soul that has become, become desirous of the things of God and become washed in the blood of Jesus. You see how a legal thing can be a spiritual thing. And then through life... Through life, that desire and the tastes for the things of God, for holy living and for holy life, for holy lips and holy thoughts, are gradually built up and built up in what we call sanctification. And he that is legally declared a saint at conversion is then to spend a life walking with the Lord and to become himself or herself more and more sanctified. So having covered some back, back work, uh, to consider what righteousness is and what our need to be made righteous, that is justified before God, we see then in verse 26, your confessing of your sin. The Lord says in verse 26, put me in remembrance. Let us plead together. Declare thou that thou mayest be justified there are three things that the Lord says regarding the justification of a sinner. He says, firstly, uh, something about remembrance. Remembrance. And I, as I mentioned this morning, the language that's in the Hebrew, if you were to read the Hebrew, you would see many references and many words that the, that, that, that the native Hebrew would recognize as being part of a court of law. And this word here that's, that's speaking of, of remembrance can even be used in the idea of being taken to court to have crimes remembered. That might seem a little bit extended, but it is a use of the word, of the verb here that's used. Put me in remembrance, the Lord says. And that is in stark contrast to what we saw in the previous verse where the Lord revealed his choice not to remember sins. Verse 25, I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake and will not remember thy sins. And we would consider, yet yeah, the blood of Christ, it blots out the sins. It blots out all the books that contain your sins against God. And even the idea that God does not remember them as if his, his own memory is blotted by the blood of Christ. And we, we, we understood the imagery is there to help us. God, of course, forgets nothing, but he chooses not to remember. As far as the east is from the west, so far have I removed thy transgressions from thee. He chooses not to remember. But then when it comes to the justification of a sinner, he then says, put me in remembrance. 
seems almost like a contradiction, but it isn't. It isn't. Put him in remembrance, because that is the way for sins to be blotted out. Those things that the God is to forget, he wants you to, he wants you, as it were, to put him in remembrance. And this really points to something called confession. Confession of your sins. You know, that expression may be, confession is good for the soul. It absolutely is. And God's saying, put me in remembrance, is him saying, confess your sins to me, because the Lord is not interested in pretense or sham or religion or outward performances. He wants to hear that broken and contrite heart confessing sins to him. He does not want you to cover up your sin. See now why we read Romans 2. He knows your sins already and he wants you to be honest with him about your sin. Because if you're going to hold things back purposely, then you're not being honest with God and God is truth and God hates a lie. God has no joy in somebody lying to him or pretending to him. It is, as it were, we come in and, and, all, and, and all that covers and all that pretends and all that hides is removed. The, the lights are turned on, as it were. The gloves are off. And it's being honest with your judge and your creator that he would become your redeemer. Now God desires truth in the innermost parts. And if your innermost part, your heart, is confessing sin, then let it be a full confession. Let it be an honest and a humble confession. Remember the confession that was made by the Pharisee in the temple. And his confession was, a, was no confession. His confession was all sham. It was all religion as he was standing there, telling God and telling everybody but here because they spoke and prayed audibly. How great he was, how wonderful his religion was, how much money he gave to the poor, how often he came to the temple and how many sacrifices. And, we, and I'm sure we only have a couple of lines of his very long self-praising prayer. And essentially ending that prayer, at least I'm not like that publican, that taxpayer, that tax collector over there. But it was the tax collector who prayed a prayer of confession. Who was honest with God. And not dishonest with God. Oh, how there are so many that are dishonest with God. And he said, Lord, have mercy upon me, a sinner. That was it. No boasting, no bravado, no great quotes from the scriptures, nothing. Just a very simple and honest prayer. You could say here when we're considering this where the Lord commands, and this is a commandment, put me in remembrance is a, is a, is an, uh, is a command in the Hebrew. You could say that God is declaring a side of repentance which says this, Repent or remind me of all that which you want me to forget. Remind me of all those things that you want me to forget. That it would be forgotten. That it would be covered. Which sins do you want under the blood? Which sins do you want peace for? We say all sins. Well, confess them. Repent of them. 
That's why the repentant sinner must come and be very honest with the judge of all the earth. Put me in remembrance, he says. But then he moves on to say, let us plead together. What is this pleading then? We've considered something of this remembrance and then the pleading that we see before us. Again, that word pleading, we, we, we'd, we would recognize its use. Does he bring a, is, is he, is it a guilty plea? The word plea and plead is, is, is the same root. But you plead together, you can argue together. And again, this is very much the idea of, of, of in judgments that there has been arguing together. And that word pleading is actually related to the Hebrew word for judgment. Let us plead together, the Lord says. So how is it the Lord then pleads together with the, with, with the sinner, with the guilty sinner? Well, it's this. It's that God's righteous law condemns the sinner. When you know something of the law of God and the law of God says thou shall have no other gods before me if, if everyone was to be honest and everyone was to be convicted by the Spirit of God in this room now then we must confess I have always put myself ahead of God. Thou shall have no other gods before me but the truth is if we were to be honest with God and we've just seen that God wants us to be honest that we have always put ourselves in front of him. Always put ourselves and our preferences ahead of him. And the terrible truth is even after conversion, that is still the tendency of so many believers. But God's righteous law, it condemns the sinner. It speaks to the sinner. It goes straight to the conscience of the sinner. So we have that condemning word of the Lord, but we have the convicting work of the Spirit, and those two work together. Those two work together. That the sinner would realize that there is a, a condemning word. That having heard something of, of the law of God, then he realizes, hey, I've broken that law of God, that law, the law... That uh, the Lord is not pleased with me. He's not pleased with my religion. He's not pleased with my religious activities. I'm condemned. And I'm convicted. So that's certainly coming from the Lord. When we consider pleading together, that's the side of the Lord, ple uh, of the Lord pleading with the sinner. Through the law, through the convicting work of the Spirit. Do you fight that? Do you fight that? Do you, do you work against that in your life? When you read the scriptures or you hear the preaching, do you fight against the convicting work of the Word of God and the Spirit of God? Maybe too much. Do you know, if you do that, then the, the, Lord, uh, the Lord's Word is very clear that, that that causes your heart to become hardened against Him. We know from the Old Testament that when the people heard the word of God and they refused to obey, they refused to listen, that their hearts became hardened. And it is the case for everyone. That when the word of God goes forth and you hear it, you may understand it quite well, and yet you will not do it for whatever reason, and that interests God not for one, uh, one centimeter. But what interests him is that his word, as it were, is bouncing off a hardened heart. It's not being received into the heart. It's not being embraced in the life. It's not being the, 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 the word of truth, which it is. 
And the Lord has very high expectations and high standards from all that call upon his name and say that they bear the name of Jesus. Then why does the word of Jesus not have full and free course in your life and in your mouth and in your thoughts and in your, in your deeds? Such is the convicting work. Such is the condemning work of the law and the convicting work of the Spirit. But what is then, when we're talking about pleading, we're talking about legal arguments in a court of law. But what is then the, the, the sinner to say? What is the sinner then to plead? Well, not to defend themselves. And to say, well, there were reasons and there were circumstances... No, that's, that's defending yourself, and you can't defend yourself against the truth. Otherwise, you're going to build up lies, and you're hardening your heart. So, so what are you to do when there has been a great uh, condemnation and conviction uh, in this court of your soul? What does the Lord want when he says, let us plead together? Well, pleading together means saying, yes, that word of condemnation is right. I am two-faced. I am a sinner. I have broken thy law. I have not honored thee every day. And whatever personal sins that the Lord brings to your heart and to your mind, you're not, you're not bringing contrary arguments against the word of God, but you're pleading together with him as much as you're able to understand of some degree. You're not saved because your knowledge of theology is this high and your knowledge of how the gospel works in a sinner's soul is this high and, and all these other matters. You're saved because God comes by his word and by his spirit, by the law and the Holy Ghost, and he convicts you. You're not as good as you think you are. In fact, you're a wicked sinner in and of yourself. And believe that anything you have has been given to you by God's grace... So you still have nothing to boast about at all. And you should still have this attitude that we're considering now of not bringing contrary arguments against the Word of God. But when we think of the sinner then, who is to plead together with God, is that where there is conviction, where there is truth, that you say, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, I have sinned. I have sinned. You allow your conscience, you allow your understanding, you are to allow your heart to confess that which the Lord convicts you of. You agree with God's judgment of your soul in such a way that we're enabled to plead together with God. That what God says in his word, that we can say, God, that is true. Be merciful unto me, a sinner. And we read in our call to worship this morning from Isaiah 1 and verse 18, where very similar language is used by the Lord to his people. He says, come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Again, that idea of reasoning together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. When what? When we plead together, when we confess that which the Lord reveals to us and to our own hearts and our own needs, that you are guilty, that you are doomworthy, that in and of yourself 
in and of yourself, God would have all the right in the world to condemn you and to cast you into that everlasting fire. And which then brings us, having considered what this remembrance is, that he says, put me in remembrance, what it means by let us plead together. And thirdly, what we read here, declare thou that thou mayest be justified. What is this declaring? What is this declaring? It is in a way, shall we say, as we considered this morning that the Lord has many books and Revelation uh, speaks of this and all the books were opened, that there were many there, great and small, and the, all the books were opened and then there's one particular book, it was the Lamb's Book of Life, but then the books were still opened and the Lord would judge man, men and women from those books, those books, the books of your sins, the books of your crimes. That there is a written record. And it is, as it were, when we consider what the Lord says here, declare thou, is almost as if you were to open your book and say, yeah, that's my, I've done this, I've done this, yes, I've done that. Oh, oh Lord, I have done that, and all of them, I, I've done them all. Because the very idea of this word to declare is, he says, declare, it's almost as if he's saying, open the books. Uh, that word declare is, is from the similar, same root as the word for book in Hebrew. And that book is, in, is not just some sort of fiction book, not some sort of any old book, but it is a, and a book of record and a book of accounts. So declare what is written against you. So we could say that the confession and the conviction are completed in a declaration. And this is the answer. I say this is part of the pleading back. But the pleading back is the, the pleading together is, is confessing the truth of God's convicting work. Be merciful unto me, a sinner. But then we see it's, it's moving forward in a declaration. The Lord also commands. These are three commands. Put me in remembrance. Let us plead together. Declare thou. And so what is it then? Well, this declaration is best understood as an act of repentance is an act of repentance and what is the goal of that repentance what's the goal of that repentance to join a religious club no it's to have forgiveness with God it's to have forgiveness with God and so when he says declare thou he could say easily repent thou Declare those sins. Repent of them. And by doing so, what are you doing? When you repent to the the Lord, you, you are declaring your need of forgiveness and his mercy. You declare your need of having your sins blotted out, going back. You you confess your need of, of his work, of his being willing not to remember your sins anymore, to forget them that you might have peace with God. In essence, it's this, is you surrender to God. You surrender. Why do I say surrender? Because we are at war with God by nature. If you are not, this evening, a born-again believer, then your soul is at war with God. 
and you are God's enemy, and he is your enemy. But hear what the merciful God says. He says, declare thou, be honest, confess your sins, repent of them before me, that thou mayest be justified. Mercy cannot be extended to the guilty offender that refuses to admit his sins. There can't be any mercy if you can come now to a court and then the court hears terrible crimes or the police have, have, have arrested someone and they've, they've, they're convicting him of terrible crimes. And mercy cannot be extended by the court to the guilty offender who refuses to admit his crimes. It can't be. Confession and remorse are actions that enable the accused to receive the mercy of the court. You might know the expression, to, to throw yourself on the mercy of the court. That the, the, the offender is honest. He's saying, yes, I've done these things. I did commit that uh, crime. And I did it for these reasons. And I was, I, was, I was overtaken in my emotions of anger and hatred. And, and I did all these things. And I know it's wrong. And, and, I, and, I, and I repent of them. And I throw myself on the mercy of the court. And that is what repentance is, legally speaking. It's coming before God and all of these things together. God, thou art right. I am wrong. Thou art holy and I am unholy. And throwing yourself on the mercy of the court. Because if you're hiding your sin, if you're denying your sin, you're not throwing yourself on the mercy of the court. You will not lead to the judge forgiving your sins if you are hiding your sins. But it is being honest with God. It is agreeing with God and repenting before God is the only way as we conclude this text that thou mayest be justified. It's the only way. The only way of being made righteous legally in God's sight is by repentance. And this is a wonderful truth that uh, Kyle and Delich, uh, these um, uh, Hebrew experts and commentators uh, from the 1800s, they, they, they've compacted this all down into five words. Justice, acqu justice accuses and grace acquits. Justice accuses and grace acquits. And we must come, therefore, seeking God's grace repenting of our sins, that we would receive this justification given to us by God, declared over us by God. Put me in remembrance, the Lord says. Let us plead together, he says. Declare thou, he says, that thou mayest be justified, that thy sins may be forgiven you, that there is a complete change in your position towards God, that you were accursed, that you were at war, but now you are blessed and now you are at peace because you've heard the word of God and you've obeyed the word of God and you've repented of your sins to God. As I mentioned this morning, as we briefly closed, this wonderful truth that God says to his people, 
that I will not remember thy sins. And as I also said then, but I think it's such a, a, a helpful conclusion to the believer, that we may look back upon our own lives and uh, with shame of those things that we've ever done, and we may find it so difficult to get those shameful things out of our mind, the things that we've done to our body, the things we've done to other people's lives, the things we've said uh, toward God. And we may find ourselves uh, confessing those sins again and again and feeling guilty about them again and again. And as I said, we're just ignorant of the fullness of the forgiveness that we receive for Christ's sake. That there is no sin that is not blotted out. That all is blotted or nothing. And that you can then know something of that comfort I think I even quoted from the Apostle John. For if our heart condemn us, and when we see heart, we can think of our conscience as well. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God. And so that is an an understanding of justification. It is an application of it in your own life. As if I have come to God, if I have confessed my sins, if I have repented of them, if I have come to God on God's terms, if I have bowed the knee before Jesus and and, and called upon the name of the Lord and taken God at his word, taken every single promise as read in black on white... Have I found myself pleading together with the Lord against myself that I may know that I am justified, which means I am forgiven all my sins, that God looks upon me as a holy person and no longer as a sinner under his wrath, that if I can, if I can understand it and, and, and embrace it in my own life and in my heart, then I have great faith and assurance toward God. That's what John says. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. God is greater than our hypersensitive um, conscience. And he knoweth all things. When he says those that are able to embrace this and to understand what true justification is, which gives great peace to the soul and to the heart of the believer. Beloved, he says, if our heart condemn us not, then, we have, then have we confidence towards God. That word confidence means faith. Then we have true assured faith. We have a true assurance that we are justified because God who knows all things is greater than our heart. He's greater than our sin. Grace is always greater than any sin and than the devil himself. Which means... Believer, you can really rest your consciences in the truth that all your sins are forever forgiven because they are forever under the blood. But this is then the gospel invitation to those whose sins are not covered by the blood of Jesus. This is the great draw it should be. We don't preach a health and wealth gospel. We're not saying your best life. Now we're saying your sins are your greatest problem. Not your financial difficulties, however difficult they can be. 
Your greatest problem before God is your sin, your sin nature, your sinful attitudes, your sinful words. And it is your sin that needs to be dealt with. But when you come to the Lord and take the Lord at his word, you no longer call God a liar, saying those promises are are not worth the paper they're written on, but those promises are worth the paper they're written on. They're worth the saving of your soul, those promises, that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Well, then you can know, well, if I do call upon the name of the Lord, if I look at this verse and, and I do put the Lord in remembrance, that I plead together with him, that I declare, I repent, that I will be justified. Thou mayest is only there because we must, we must obey the gospel command, as the Lord Jesus Christ very simply said. Repent and believe the gospel. This is Old Testament language for the same. Put me in remembrance, let us plead together, declare thou that thou mayest be justified. And this is the, this is the wonderful truth and draw, that you would have your sins forgiven completely forgiven, every single one, even sins that you've not yet committed, that you'd have peace with God and that you would know the Savior, that you would know him whose, sin, whose blood has blotted out your every sin. So sinner, therefore, here's that wonderful invitation to the gospel that you've come to, if you come to God on God's terms, that he forgives your sin and he forgets your sin. He forgives your sin and he forgets your sin forever. And as far as God is concerned, if it is all blotted out and all is forgotten, then all is forgiven. The air is cleared between you and God and you can call upon the Lord My sins are under the blood of thy Son. My heart is washed by the blood of thy Son. There is peace of access to approach the Heavenly Father because of the blood of thy Son. There is no wrath. There is only peace because you stand justified. You stand as a righteous person before the God of heaven and earth. Psalm 31 and verse 7 and 8 says this, and we close with these words. I will be glad and rejoice in thy mercy, for thou hast considered my trouble. Thou hast known my soul in adversities, and hast not shut me up into the hand of the enemy. Thou hast set my feet in a large room. Amen, and may the Lord bless his word to your every heart this evening. Let us close in prayer before we sing. Our merciful and loving God, we give thee thanks and praise for the sweet truths of justification. We're justified by faith alone. Lord, that that righteousness is also imputed to our account. And Lord, that it is by repentance that we receive the covering of the blood. And that blood covers all sins. It blots them all out. And yet, Lord, what is it then that holds back the sinner from coming to thee? Thou knowest, O God, and it is not good to deny and even to despise the mercy of God. 
So we pray, O Lord, that thy spirit will convict and draw even unto Christ this evening those that desire their sins to be completely forgiven, that they may know the purifying work of the blood of Jesus Christ. That, Lord, that they may know that even if their consciences are overactive, that God is greater than their heart, and that they may find that precious and blessed peace in Jesus. Lord, give that help. Draw, we pray. Bring glory to thy name. For we pray in the name of the Redeemer, of him that loved us and gave himself for us, who poured out his life's blood that our, 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 our dead souls would be born to life and that we would be washed and cleansed. Lord, hear us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.